You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to another edition of Spits and Suds. Thank you for listening, hockey fans. I'm Gavin Spittle. He's two-time Stanley Cup champion Craig Ludwig. And we come to you not joking today yet. Uh, because of what happened last night, coming off uh, what I thought was a disappointing road trip and having the next nine out of the 11 at the American Airlines, one would think this team would come out with fire. One would think that this would be the get up and go because they've played so many games on the road. And Craig, that just was not good last night. That was a that was a bad watch. Yeah, it was. But I'm waiting for you. You told me you were going to tee off. Yeah. Is that you teeing off on him? No. Well, I mean, <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, do you want me to start off, with that? Off. I'm trying. I'm. You know, I was warming up. I'm warm. But if you want me to, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll start. I'll, I'll tee off because guys got. What do you got? Well, here's the thing. When I tweet, people call me a hater because I'm cynical of this team. But I'm just sick and tired. This is not a fun brand of hockey to watch. This is boring hockey. I still don't know the identity of this team. Can you come out one game? You're playing Nashville, and they have reconstructed their team into a deeper four-check team who is more physical. Uh, how do I know that? Because I know their identity. There is no identity of this Stars team. It's just, hey, we're going to come out, and if some things happen, the power play. Can we have some imagination on the power play? Last night... Suter passes it over to Sagan in the slot. I'm not kidding. I tweeted out, Stars fans, hit the replay button. UC Soros was already over before Sagan took the shot. They know where the puck is going. This is unimaginative hockey. It is boring. The fans at the AAC deserve better. They have a team meeting. That's great. My question is, who's going to step up in the room? Is it Jamie Benn? Is he going to say something? I appreciate Jamie Benn as a player, but if you look at the statistics, it's not happening for him. It's not happening for Sager. Uh, Sagan, you think Suter's going to step up? He's not going to step up because he's new to the team. Is Pavelski going to say to something? Bonus comes out, 28-second press conference, 28 seconds, and he kept saying the following. We'll find out. I know exactly what's wrong with this team. He said it two to three times. If he knows what's wrong with the team, then fix it. And if he can't fix it, then he needs to go to Jim Nill and say, I need the players that can fix this. 
but we can't go through the same thing over and over again. And I said before the season, this is a fringe playoff team, if that. And what are we looking at? We're looking at a fringe playoff team, if that. (sighs) Okay. Your turn. You got any any quaaludes in your office there? I mean, I'm just like, listen, you're, you're the pro. You played the game. I think I know this game. I'm going to toot my own horn. I have contacts. They're saying the same thing. You have contacts. That's why we're doing this show, and it's just frustrating. Yeah. <sighs> it's. Uh, <clears throat> I will tell you, good word, frustrating. And I will tell you, you know, is and, and this isn't by any way making any any kind of excuses, the players are frustrated probably most of all. And what <clears throat> you you have to manage a hockey game. And I think anytime you come off the road, you get back home and you always think things are going to be easier at home. You're, you're in your, you know, you're in your jammies and your own bedroom and you get to watch your TV and everything is more comfortable and you have to look at the other side. It's the total opposite. <clears throat> and so there's a, there's a, especially if you go back, I think it was last year where Dallas started out the shortened schedule. I think they played Nashville a couple times early and they just lit them up on the power play. Yes. And that, that was last year, right? Yes. <clears throat> so if you don't think that Nashville, even though they played them a couple times after that during the season, if you don't think they don't remember that, you know, you're fooling yourselves. And what the way that they approached the game, um, I watched Klingberg, I watched Klinger on his first three to four touches of the puck, turned it over. And, and then I watched Jamie, who I understand exactly what they're trying to do. Jamie was going to try to go out and set the tone, uh, <clears throat> meaning physically. And unfortunately, a couple of the, the first couple runs he took it, guys, he wasn't in control. And that may be the MO for the club coming out in the first five to 10 minutes. They weren't in control. <clears throat> and, but I understand what they were trying to do. You're trying to get your fans into it early. You're trying to get your teammates into it early, but you have to play in control. And, and I don't think that they started the game like that. I know that with half of the game gone, I think when I, I looked at the time, it was just over 10 minutes to go in the second period. They had eight shots. They went to their power play, which if you're a penalty killer, you look at power plays where four have to outwork five. That's your motivation. And usually that's how you have to approach it because you know you're down a man and they've got their best players on the ice. And so on the other side of it, when you're on the power play, it's a momentum creator or it can take away from your momentum. And to me, how you gain momentum is you don't pass the puck around the perimeter. And you look for the perfect play. I I just think that looking for the perfect play for Dallas so far on the power play kind of bleeds over into what they're trying to do five on five. Um, You know, it, it, to me, it looks like there's opportunities to get pucks to the net 
and build momentum as the game progressive, starting with the opening faceoff and into the end of the first and beginning of the second. And there were, to me, there were too many plays that when they get across the offensive blue line, they try to make the extra pass. And when you're playing against a team that knows that they're a lesser team, you always try to keep things to the perimeter and you try to make things and keep things to the outside because you don't want them, you know, getting into the high danger opportunity areas. So you know that that team has got to play like that. They don't have a team that's loaded with superstars. Um, as a matter of fact, the people have been down on Duchesne and Johansson for years and they're, they're off to great starts. And, you know, and again, both of them cashed in. <clears throat> and I, I know we were, I was sitting in the, in the locker room last night before we went on the ice for one of our men's league games. And uh, I, somebody just said, up oh, one, nothing Nashville. And, <clears throat> and I just said, Johansson. And then another guy said, Duchesne. And, and what that, and the reason I bring that up is there's guys in the locker room that probably don't watch as much hockey as we do. And, you know, watch 10 games a night and things like that. But, but you know who the hot players are on the other club, you know, coming in, who's having good starts to the season. So you have to pay particular attention to those guys because those are the ones that can hurt you. And if not for those two guys getting off to a good start, I don't, you know, Nashville wouldn't be where they are anyways. So, but, but all those things wrapped up, you have to play in control when you start the game. I look at the first goal that was scored. It's zero, zero, one minute to go in the period. You can, and you didn't have a great period, <clears throat> but you can leave the period even. Klinger decides to stay on the offensive blue line and try to keep a puck in in the last minute of a period. And it ends up being an outnumbered rush for a time being. And I believe it was Robertson and Pavelski that were chasing back on Lindell. And all three of them end up ultimately going over to Duchesne and he dishes it back to Johansson and they score. Now they, now they have the momentum going into that start of the second period. So, you know, that, that's what I mean about managing the game. Even the, even the second goal of the game in the second period, we have a three-on-one mostly, and, and Harley jumps into the play. And, and actually, that no, the second goal was, you know, that, that one should have been stopped by, by Holpe. I, I, I thought that that, that shot, uh, short side, they had a couple short side goals last night. Yeah. And, and I thought those should be, those are ones I think he would like to have back. That, that's like a common line. Isn't kind it, of skated by but... Suter on that one and got <clears throat> Well, and what I don't like about the way Suter played it, and you try to teach your players all the time, stick on puck. And, and you try to keep your stick. And, and he turns and he's skating forward and he, he's left-handed. So he's got his stick in that right hand, which is on the same side as the player that's coming down the ice with the puck. You can reach that and you can have your stick on that puck, which makes him do something different. He uses a quick little move and it beats Holtby. So I, I didn't like the way that was played. And then the other one that was ultimately a three-on-one, uh, you know, again, another short shot, great shot, but it didn't need to be a throw. That one had that one was two minutes ago in the period. So it's time management, you know, and game management, time and score. Um, it, it's a big phrase we learn early. Um, you know, you're even or you're up a goal. And so you don't take chances at the end of periods to give them a little bit of momentum to come back and vice versa. So th there's little things that are going on here. And I think to, to be fair to the guys, I do think a lot of that comes from, from over trying, but again, you have to control that kind of stuff. And, 
player game. But I, I just think that I don't know. Again, I haven't talked to anyone. I, I don't know their mentality coming off of the year that go they go to the conference finals. Do they think they that they are that team that went to the conference finals? And I do think a lot of things fell in line for them that year that they went to the finals. But you know, you're you're not you're not a top ten team. And I think sometimes they play they want to play like the Florida Panthers. They want to play like the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, and I believe that they got to play in a little bit more direct and we talked about it like i think on our last one and gary on about me comes back and he scores that goal and i sent you a text about that where did he score from yep. well he was about a foot from the from the goal line you know nice place but nice pass by haskin and i think it was but even still he went into that he went into that dirty area and i, I just see too many plays that get killed um coming over the offensive blue line where they're where they could drive the puck to the net with two guys getting to the net and create that shit show at the at the front of the net and it doesn't happen and it doesn't result in in chances and ultimately building some momentum. So as a former player, give us a perspective because we won't hear this anywhere else in town for a players only closed door meeting. Yeah, I, I hear that. We, we've been in so many of those things and there, you know what? I, I've been in a whole bunch of them. Um, everybody has all players, all sports. And I really do think it's got a lot to do. The meetings are valuable depending on the people that you have on the team. And I can tell you about a meetings back in Montreal when you have, again, I mentioned guys like Bob Ganey, Larry Robinson, those had a, a different tone to them because you knew who was talking and the credibility that they have and been there, done that. Um, again, with, with a history of championships. So it'd be like, when Tom Brady snaps on the sideline, regardless of it's wanted, needed at the right time, I promise you there's even guys on the defensive team that are listening. So it's always about the voice that's talking or the voice is. So, and sometimes to be honest, there were meetings that we had after losing three, four games, but we had it because we didn't want to hear any shit from the coaches. So you have the meeting and you know, you're, you're talking in there, but a lot of times it's like, you know, and now when you're on the other side of it, well, you know, it's good. The guys are having a closed door meeting. You don't really know what they're talking about. You actually think that they care. They're trying to turn it around. <laughs> so the, the test of that will be, you know, the next game. Um, but I, I don't know how much closed door meetings actually have. And what it should be, it should be more about confronting each other face-to-face than saying, hey, what's wrong? It should be more about what we're not doing individually, collectively. And you can look your teammate. When you have a close room, you can hold other people accountable. And it's probably time to hold everybody accountable. And, and, and again, it's if, you know, and, and I, apparently, like you said, Bones Bone said that, you know, I know how to fix it. Well, I wouldn't wait till game 12 or 15 or 20 to fix it because it's not easy in this league because, you know, there's a lot of teams that are, that are pretty close to each other and, and it's not easy to pick up points and somebody's always winning. Somebody's all, there's always the three point games. And, and so you get any further down the road and, and you're still playing at a, you know, 400 point percentage you know, and then you have to jump to a six and a quarter or six fifty in order to make, uh, make the playoffs and everybody's picking up points somewhere along the line, you know, in the last 20 games of the year, 
uh, it becomes pretty difficult. So, you know, there's a lot of things that got to happen. I mean, you got to get some saves from here, but I think both goalies need to be better. Uh, I don't think, I think Hudobin, the last game that, that he played, he let in a goal or two that I don't think should go in. I don't think that what Holtby let in, that shouldn't have happened, but you know, you got to fix some things. I think your dog agrees. Well, he does. And when Lucky agrees with me, he, there's two things that, that, that he's trying to tell me. He's telling me that I'm right. And the other one, I got to let him up to take a piss. See? See? Right there. <laughs> Craig doesn't want me uh, telling people this, but he's a sweetheart of a guy when it comes to pets. He'll take in any dog anytime. Including my handicapped dog, right? You're going to adopt that one? <laughs> hey, one three-legged dog is enough. <laughs> one, one very spoiled three-legged dog that <clears throat> runs the show is enough. It's funny, like every time I've done these kind of things that dog finds the right time to bark i i it's uncanny but anyway um so i'll tell you what spits yeah um they they really do need to as a group it's easy to say they got to be tougher to play against but but i just i i, I just think that they have to they you have to think more there there there's times when you know, you, and then again, it does come out of wanting to win. It, it comes from wanting to win. Um, and, but you have to be smarter about the game. You know, now you got, you got, what do we got Philly coming in here? So, yeah. you know, they're, they're going to be a better team. Yep. Um, depending on what goalie they have play. Uh, if, if you let these goalies, you know, you, you don't, you get eight shots in 30 minutes of play. You, you, as a goalie, you kind of, you know, ease your way into the game. Yeah. So I, you know, I think you have to find ways to build momentum from the start of the game. And yes, it can be a physical play. No question about it, but you've got to, you've got to get pucks in the goalie's feet and there has to be chaos going on in front of goalies. You have to make it difficult. They're all great goalies in this league. If, you know, they wouldn't be here if they weren't. And, and so um, I just think you have to create more, confusion chaos and and make it more difficult for goalies to do their job and, and i and again the the extra passes going across the the slot line they like to call it those are i mean they're great plays if, if they're available if the right people are using them but if you've got a three on three a two on two a, a three on two two and a half you're better off taking the shot and two guys going to the net and looking for a rebound yeah versus because guys come back hard they they know all the details of the game your feet don't stop moving until you're ahead of players that you're trying to catch. People don't come into the offensive or their defensive zone and, and coast when they're coming back uh, to the front of the net. They come back hard, and you're going to get pressure from almost every team now. And, and so you have to know that as an offensive player that, you know, and I, I stop my feet and I look across to my right. Let's say it's, it, it's Radulov, who's one of the best in the game at making those kind of plays. And, you know, I mean, he made a great play to, for the goal for Haskinen last night, you know, but again, you know, but you can't, <clears throat> I'll tell you what, when you're talking about five on five goals, it's not pretty for Dallas and their numbers aren't very good what they score. You know, it, it's a good thing that they're getting some power play goals, but when you look at the top teams on the league, uh, the Florida is Edmonton, Carolina, Minnesota, St. Louis, they're all above. Edmonton's actually below 60% of their goals are five on five. They're at 55. But then again, they've got an elite, elite power play that's running close to 50%. But Florida's at 
Carolina's at 65. Minnesota's at 61. St. Louis is at 62 of five on five goals. So, you know, it is about goaltending and special teams for sure. Um, but they've got to score some five on five goals. They got to make it more difficult five on five. And you can't just rely on your power play. And then on the other side of the coin, their penalty kill has not been good. No. Um, you know, it's leaky. And a lot of that, listen, a lot of that has to do with goaltending. I mean, you've heard the phrase before, you know, your best penalty killer has got to be your goaltender. And, and I don't think that's the case right now. And you can, you have to do as much as you can shorthanded to, to kind of keep things to the perimeter, you know, poor angle, shooting angle for goaltenders. But then you also have to, after that happens, you got to make sure there's not a second shot. So they, they've got to be better in, in a lot of different areas of the game. So, you know, if Bones has got a way to fix it, he, he must have a to-do list and there's not one or two things on it. And you're listening to Spits and Suds. This is called a reset, Craig. This is where I reset who we are. He's two-time <laughs> well, Stanley Cup champion. Radio, that's right. You're a radio guy. That's a radio. That's logo. a radio. Even though we're on a podcast, it's a radio thing because someone could be listening and they're like, who's that guy? Well, that guy won two times, two Stanley Cups, and he's going to tell it like it is. See, I thought reset meant you just order another beer. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we need to do when we take yeah. this show on the road. Well, we better start taking it on the road pretty quick. You don't think people are going to care in a couple of weeks? <laughs> <laughs> no, but we got to bring the people to the show. True. We got to let them ask some of the questions. That's true. That's true. And yeah. I do have questions from Stars fans. I do have okay. a few questions. I put it out on Twitter last night. So, um, But I did want to ask you a couple of things, and maybe I'm simplifying it, but I love the perspective as a former player. So several times this season, it seems like with about – Six minutes left, the switch goes on when the Stars are down. Now, clearly they can't keep sustained pressure throughout the game. I think, like, Nashville went into a defensive shell for most of the third period last night. However, why is that, and can you keep that sustained pressure throughout the game? I I was going to say, why can't you keep it? Because the, the teams that I just mentioned, Florida, Carolina, Minnesota, St. Louis, those teams keep the pressure on Vegas keeps the pressure on a lot of teams keep the pressure on, you know, and again, it's about your depth in your club. You can't, you can't do that with two lines, but I think that that Jim Nill thinks that he's got depth on his club. That's why he went out and, and got it. But I, I still think you have to be smart about it. I mean, you watch, you watch Carolina play and, you know, and again, they're, 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 you know, they're sitting at the top of the league. They, they were, I, I think that they're a cup contender for sure. Um, Florida is, but you watch the way these teams play Carolina in particular, the, the, they're, they've got, I, I don't have numbers in front of me, but I got to believe if there's a, a stat for shots on goal per game, Carolina will be right at the top of the list because they throw everything to the net and they go to the net. They've got some good skilled players. Um, but but I'm telling you, they are a territorial possession kind of team. And I think that with Rod Brendan Moore as a head coach and, and his philosophy is we're going to play with speed, but we're going to play around the front of the net and, and we're going to get pucks to the net. And so you don't see them passing up a lot of um, opportunities to get goals or get shots there. And it results in goals for them. So that, that to me, 
that's what you do because at the end of the day, it accomplishes a few different things. Obviously, you work you you work their goalie, and and, and he's got to be going back and forth and up and down, and you get traffic and and all those kind of things offensively that you get. But on the other side of the coin, especially when you're playing against the top two lines from the other club and you're playing that kind of style, well, by the time they end up getting the puck back and then have to go from their defensive position and now have enough energy to get to the other end of the ice, they don't have a lot left in the tank. And they don't, their, their quality time in the offensive zone is less just because, you know, they're running low on fumes because they've been chasing around what's going on in their defensive zone. So, but, but I just believe that there has to be more pucks getting to the net with more people going to the net. And again, that, I don't mean to take anything away from the Sagans and the, the Radulovs and those kind of guys. Um, I, I just think that it, it has to be, you know, more traffic, more time spent in, in, in the offensive zone and, you know, playing hard and on people. So, and I just pulled it up. Dallas isn't as bad as I thought. They're 20th. They're 20th in the league as far as shots go. So, you know, that, that's, that's still bottom of the pack. And Carolina's but, but again, Carolina. when you when you talk to other teams about other teams, well, let's here, here it is. So teams that are are surprising this year, right? In in the NHL, I would say Columbus is a surprising team. I don't think anybody expected Columbus to be there, right? I mean, I coming off losing the coach and players defect out of there like they defect out of Russia, and so everybody's leaving Columbus. So they come in and they get, you know, players that just want to play hard. Detroit Red Wings last in the league for I don't know how many how many years those are the top two teams right now along with Ottawa those are the top three teams Ottawa's rebuilding top three teams in the league in shots so they've got a mentality and all three of those teams are hard Detroit just beat Edmonton the other night you know and Detroit's surprisingly in a playoff spot right now so is Columbus you know Edmonton you know Edmonton obviously is a uh, they're in the top four but (laughs) that's mainly because of two guys uh, Drysdale and, and McDavid, who have the puck on their stick the whole game and only get you know two to three points a night each of them. So, but those are the kind of teams that that I think that you wouldn't look at them being um, having super super talent, but they're spending a ton of time in the offensive zone, knowing that they have a better chance by the time the game is over, being on the right side of the scoreboard that you spend more time in that zone than you do in your own zone. What would you say to a season ticket holder who's frustrated right now? Um, And the season ticket holders and the fans that go down to the AAC. um, I appreciate defensive hockey, but you can only play defensive hockey if it's working. And... Maybe it's just me because it's not talked about much, but I think the loss of Alexiak is big. I, I just don't think it was anticipated. I think he was coming into his own. I think he was comfortable in the system. You saw more rushes from him. I just think that's a big body back there. And, you know, I thought he was pretty good defensively. So maybe it's that, but I just don't look at this as like a shutdown defensive team with these teams coming in and scoring three to five goals a game. So I if- agree with you uh, about Jamie, because I like Jamie as a player. I, I thought, I think that when Jamie came in the league, he was that guy that was a, uh, obviously, you know, had the ability to fight if he needed to. Um, 
he was heavy in the corners. And I look at, I, I'm not going to say that Hockenpah is, is that guy that's a big fighter, but but he plays heavy. He, he's got a big reach. I think he's difficult for offensive players to, to get to where they want to be. He is, yep. Um, so, you know, you need those kind of players. I, I think the only downside I had with, with Ole uh, last year near the end, and again, this is not him. This is a philosophy of the club, I believe. And, and I agree with it to a point is that they were really trying to get and I think it's a it's a reason they did go to the finals. The defensemen were really getting involved offensively, getting up the plays. And I, and we do it with our guys all the time. We tell them to get involved in the play, and we want you to be the third, fourth attacker offensively across the offensive blue line. But you have to read the situation. I thought there were times last year when Jamie Alexiak would do that, but there were times when he was leading the rush, and and he wouldn't, but he, and he would get caught defensively because he didn't make the right decision offensively of when to jump in, when to turn it in from a, from a two on two into a three on two and, and not necessarily be the lead guy. I mean, again, as defensemen, you're, you're, you're taught a long, long time ago. Don't ever trust a forward to do your job back at your, your end of the rink. And, you know, and, and Wilson would always have it like Wilson when I had Wilson college and then here in Dallas and Minnesota and stuff like that. But, if you're chasing back to your net as a defenseman, you've made a mistake somewhere. You've got to be in a position to be able to receive things. It's not going to always work out like that because, you know, again, time and score and all that kind of stuff comes into play. But, but I agree with you with Alexiak. And I think what happened with him, just like other players I've seen it happen to, is when they leave Dallas, go to another club, he went to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh had more of a get involved in the kind of play, and I think he became a better player when he went to Pittsburgh and when he came back, he was that player that he was in Pittsburgh because there was a, probably a little bit more rope to play offensively. When you're playing with guys like Latang and Crosby and that guy, Crosby guy, you know, so, but again, those guys all come back to their own end hard too. So, and I just think that there were times when, when he wasn't making the right decision when to jump into the plays, when to take off. There are, there are times when I, I would watch the puck that would, out of your own zone, a first pass would be made and it'd be go to the winger and the defenseman in front, and, and Jamie did a lot of this, is that he'd be gone. He'd take off. But the player that was, the winger that was receiving the puck bobbled it or got turned over. You've got to let it leave your zone. It's got to exit your zone before you're getting, you're leaving the zone to jump into the play offensively. And again, you know, it has to do with the, the score of the game, too, and how much time is left. You know, down by a couple goals with three, four, five minutes to go in the game, yeah, you're going to get involved. But the last minute of a game, when it's 0-0, 1-0, 1-0, to turn it into 2-0 or 1-0 and give them the momentum going in to the locker room in between periods, mm-mm, not, not for me. I think Saturday, I know it's still early, but I think Saturday is going to be their biggest game of the season. Yeah, but didn't people say that two days ago about last night's game? Yeah, you know, they might have. Well, when uh, you're when you're in this situation, every game's big, right? And you're looking up, you're looking at everybody's asses right now. Yeah, and and that every game's the biggest game. Next game's the biggest game of the season. When you lose, you know you got to get back on on the right page, and it's not going to happen overnight. But you know, I mean, you, you look at the teams that they have coming up. They've, they've got some some good opponents. They really you do. You know what I mean? Like, so it, it's not going to be that you're going to beat Philly 
three to one. That doesn't mean that everything is figured out. You got it. And because you're going Philly now, then you go to Detroit or you're playing Detroit, which, you know, they're, they're a fast team and, and they play on their toes and they got young kids and they're trying to prove that they belong in the league. Then they got Minnesota who we know Minnesota has revamped their club and Billy Garrett's done a good job there. Really and then you got job. St. Louis who's that heavy team. And then, you know, game five, just finish it off with the two best players in the NHL and dry Seidel and yeah. Ben McDavid guy. So it's not going to be, you know, and again, the, the worst thing, the thing that scares you about Edmonton looking ahead is their power play. And so you better get your, your PK straightened out here, not just because of Edmonton, but just in general. Right. But I agree with you. And every game is big because you're looking up. And by the way, technically, you know, Colorado's right there with you. But I think, you know, most NHL fans would say that Colorado is about to, you know, it, they're not going to well, stay down there for long. If they do, no, so I mean, be now it. McKinnon's out for McKinnon's out for three weeks yeah. now, so he's back out. Which, but they're going to get they're going to get a couple good players back. I don't expect Colorado to stay there where they are. I don't expect Vegas to stay where they are. Um, but again, you know, it may be just one of them years. They're knocking on the door. They thought this was going to be. They got some young players there. They got some veterans, but they got some young players. And I think there's a lot of hype and everything through the summer, coming in the start of the season. Even people now, no, it's still a Stanley Cup contender. Well. You got to quit reading your press clippings. You know, you got to you got to stop listening to that stuff right now because you're not proving that you're a cup contender. Yeah, there's a couple, you know, things happening. Some of your key players have been out and suspended and all this other kind of stuff. And, you know, the best defenseman or one of, you know, is getting ready to come back and he's been out for a while. So, you know, you get McCarr back and, you know, when McKinnon gets back and things like that, you know, they should be. I, I really, when it comes to Colorado, the biggest surprise that I've had is their goaltending. I thought when Kemper came in there, I thought that was the piece. Yep. I thought, you know, he was a guy that played with teams that give give up a lot of opportunities and give up a lot of shots. And I don't think people even probably know that that Colorado is was the best team as far as shots against goal last year. Like I would have never until I actually kind of I was like, holy shit, like really. But it made sense because they have the puck all the time. You know, they're, they're a puck possession team and they make you look foolish when they're, when they're running on all eight cylinders. And, and so, but they don't give the puck up. You know, they've got guys that you're afraid to go. Just like looking at McDavid. I mean, what do you do, you know, with McDavid? How do you, how do you play him? Nobody's figured it out yet. But, but when you've got Landeskog and Rotten and, 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 and McKinnon when he's healthy and McCarr, now they've got, they got this Bynum kid. And, and so they're, they're loaded. They are loaded offensively. They're not the best defensive team. They tried to fix that a little bit and bring they in did. a little bit more weight and, and get a little bit more and more physical, bring in a goalie that they thought. So it'll be interesting to see where that team is come Christmas time. But here, here's why I just said the, the Philadelphia thing that I thought was big, because you did a closed-door players-only meeting. Your coach, without calling you out, is calling you out. Um appreciate bonus not calling out individuals but at the same time you know a 28 second press conference where he continues to say they know what they need to do if all that motivation factors whether it's the coach or the players fail at some point Jim Nill Tom Gallardi has to look at this and say for the last two years we're up against the cap if this is what I'm thinking if I'm Gallardi you're putting my team up against the cap and you're not producing results. 
I expect changes. And if you can't make changes with the players, I expect you to bring in a new coaching staff. Somehow, some way, you have to fire this out. Because we all know, Craig, this is a town, especially with the Cowboys' hot start. The Mavs are playing fairly well right now. You cannot get lost in the shuffle, especially this early. Agreed. I, I agreed, and, and unfortunately, it always seems to be you can't fire 23 players. You can't fire five players that are making seven, eight, nine million dollars a year. And unfortunately, a lot of times it ends up being the coach. Um, so, and, you know, Burge did it last year. Mark Bergevin in Montreal. And again, I, I don't, I don't really look at, I've said this before. I, I'm not looking at Dallas last year. What happened last year? They just had some, some things that you, you just don't expect to happen between the, you know, the, the plague and the weather and all this other stuff that happened. I, I throw that one out. But what Bergevin did last year, everybody in Montreal was was all like he fired the coach in the first, well, I don't know what it was, 10, 15 games of the season. And they were they were five games above 500. But I think the way that Burge looked at that club, and I remember telling uh Nux, Chris Nyland on his radio show sometime in December talking about it, and I had said I just thought that Montreal was built for the playoffs. Now, again, they were playing in the all Canadian division. And as, as we know, it's, you know, it is what it is in that division with those teams. But I think that he changed his club. This is kind of going back to what you're saying is, you know, you, you've got, you've got Rads, Pavelski. I don't know if I throw Jamie in there, but you know, and again, I'm naming, you know, and you got Bishop, but, but he's been broke for a while. Uh, not financially, but but he's you know not not been healthy, and you've got some players that that aren't in their mid twenties, and so if you have if if you feel as a management and ownership thing that you know hey in, in a couple of years from now these guys are going to be gone, and now we're gonna we're not going to be at the bottom of the pile, but we've got some younger guys we're turning the keys to the car over to, and where are they going to be? Do they have to go through this process and all this other stuff? So if you believe that. And it's proven to, to work for some teams. Usually it works for the first four, five, six games where some kind of a change. Because, you know what, in the game, we've all heard the expression, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. I used to believe in that wholeheartedly. And then you get a new coach. And if you're a third-line guy that could probably be a top-six guy, if you're a guy that only gets the last 15, 20 seconds of a power play, but you can probably be a lead power play guy. You do get a second chance to make a first impression because when the new coaching staff comes in, they give guys opportunities. And because something wasn't working prior to me getting here. And so maybe you tweak with things a little bit. And then, and on the other side of the coin, maybe some of the guys that are eating up power play time and out there in the last minute of the game or last minute of the period, maybe that's not the way you go. You know, it happened in Chicago. You know, when when Kinger came, uh, Derek King, I played with, and great guy. I mean, he comes in, they fire Colleton. Uh, Kinger comes in, and just for an example, they've got a defenseman that, with with the the old coach, was playing 20, 24 minutes a game, and they had another player that was only playing. Murray was only playing, you know, somewhere around seven or eight minutes a game. Well, Kinger comes in. And the first thing in his press conference said is we got to be better defensively. Well, every team says that, but what he did is he, he flip-flopped those two guys. 
Now the guy that was playing seven or eight minutes is now playing 23, 24. And the guy that was playing 24 is playing about six. And it's only because one player was slanted more offensively and the other one was more defensively. And so he made a statement and he said, listen, we're giving up way too many high quality chances and, and all these other kind of things going on. So he just made a personnel change and he just, he, he allotted the minutes differently because he's got a different philosophy. So, and, and that can happen. But what I'm saying is now all of a sudden, let's just use Klinger for an example. If, if somebody, another coach would come in, which I, this is not a Rick bonus because Rick, I think bones is just as much wanting to play a defensive kind of game as any other coach in the league. But right now he knows it's, you know, he's shooting blanks a lot and we've got to find ways to score goals. So he's probably asking for guys to do more. And sometimes they take it a little bit too far. The message doesn't come across. I don't know if that's what it is or not, but, but maybe another coach comes in and next thing, you know, Klinger won't be playing in the last minute of a period, or he won't be on the ice when it's two to one with 40 seconds to go. Just because that uh, a coaching staff may believe that, Hockenpah should be out there. Hockenpah and Lindell should be my guys in the last minute when we're protecting a lead or we're making decisions at the end of periods because one guy may be a little bit riskier and they understand or they don't want to give up that momentum that's you know coming out of that period. So I don't always know that the coaching change is it. And um, Rick, Rick Bonus has been around for 40 plus years. I don't think there's a situation he hasn't seen or gone through. So but uh, but I would when we use the word frustration, there's probably nobody more frustrated than the coaching staff trying to say we've got a good team here. We we've got players that we like here that can do this and do that. How do we get them to be better? And, and how do we get how do we squeeze more out of them going into game thirteen? So I'm just going to bring this up real quick. I'm a big Gerard Gallant fan. Um, talk to yeah, some. Well, you're not getting him. What's that? You're not getting him. No, 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 I know. He's with the Rangers now, and guess what? The Rangers are, you know, now fighting for uh, the lead in the Metro division. So mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's all because of goaltending. That's no, I not get it. You look at numbers, they've got a goalie right now, I believe that, I think is when he's facing 40 shots or more, he's 8-0. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so 40 shots or more, 8-0, that means that they're giving up 40-plus shots a night. You know, maybe not completely 40, but they're giving up a lot of shots. And like you said, they are, they are where they are in the standings, but it's, you know, it's a lot to do with that, that guy between the pipes. But wherever he goes, the team certainly, at least in the early stages, has tremendous energy. When you look at Florida and then you look at Vegas and now you look at the Rangers. So I, I say that to just throw out the name. John Tortorola. Well, with Torts, I would say if you're going to bring in Torts, he he's got a shelf life. Yep. So did Hitch. Yep. Hitchcock had a shelf life. They don't care about the feelings that they hurt of the players. So again, that's a, that's that's where you, as a general manager, and the people around you go. Can this guy handle that kind of coach? Can this guy kind of, and again, the easy answer someone may say is, well, if he can't handle that kind of coach, maybe he shouldn't be on this team, but you've got some, some, you know, talented guys here. Every, every club does, but you have to, just like I say, you know, you don't really dictate systems to to your, your team and your players, your players dictate the kind of system you can play. 
you know, I, I don't know if we can play the same kind of game that that Tampa plays and Florida plays. So we got to find a different way to play. And that's what they do. They find a different way to be successful. So it would be the same thing saying, can our core, who they are, whoever we believe our core of our team is, is this the right guy for this core? Are we going to lose any guys? If he's hard on, you know, if he's hard on Thomas Jefferson, is Thomas going to go the wrong way? We need him to go the right way, you know, but, but you can be that way with Abe Lincoln and, and he's going to be motivated and he's going to, you know, he's going to do, he's going to get this. But again, is, is it the right guy for this group of players? Because like I said, you're not going to trade five guys because a coach is rubbing them the wrong way. So I, I just think that that probably comes into play. Um, and Torts is sitting there. Torts wants to, and, and they can always say that, you know, he, he's learned his lesson. You know, he's been, this has happened to Torts before. He's hard on players. He's lost this guy. He, you know, line A comes in and first couple games in there, the guy only plays, you know, eight minutes a night. He's a 50 goal scorer. He's a 30. He, he's up. He, he's got a shot. He, he kills Dallas every time he usually plays against him. And he's leaving him on the bench so that you're down by a goal. And the last 12 minutes of the third period doesn't play because he doesn't like the way he back checked. Yeah, but he gives you a chance to tie the game. He goes, well, I don't like the way he plays. If he wants to play, he's going to buy into my way. It's kind of like the my way or the highway. And that was Hitch. You know, but again, you have to have a good core of players. So if he's going to, if he's going to single out uh, Klingberg, this is like the Klingberg show today. If he's going to single out Klinger, well, then, <clears throat> you know, Klinger's got to buy in and the guys around Klinger got to support him. They got to support Klinger. And, and you may have as one of your captains, you may have a couple meetings with that coach and just say, listen, I, we, we get what you need and he, let, let us, you know, give us three games for us to work with the guy. Let us talk him into it. Been there, done that kind of stuff. So, and, you know, and Hitch would always be, and Hitch ain't changing his, as much as he would tell me, yeah, he called me up and, hey, man, I, I need to know how to handle some of these younger players. You work with the young kids, what do I need to do? And you can tell them, and I give him credit for wanting to figure out how to get dialed into them. But at the end of the day, when the heat's turned up and it's the same things are going <laughs> to, you're going to hear them verbally, the same things are going to come up. And, you know, so this whole thing, I, I, I would imagine like in your job, which who knows what the hell you actually do, but when you got to manage people in those cubicles, um, you know, you probably know how you talk to Jerry versus talking to Stan or Tammy or Tina. And, and so there may be a different way that you have to handle them and they all have their own roles, but at the end of the day, they're all collectively trying to pull that rope and push the bus the same way. Are you ready to do some uh, tweet mail? Tweet mail. We got people that actually listen. Yep. Are you making these names up? Are nope. these your questions? No, I'm giving their Twitter handle to prove that it's real. All right. These are not Gavin Spittle questions. These and are your people, groupies. I'm sure they're your groupies. No, 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 man. Hey, I'm the star's hater on Twitter, according to people. They, they got to be your groupies because they haven't blocked you yet, apparently. <laughs> You've answered this, right? This is from Fuzzy Wuzzy Boom Boom. That's an actual Twitter Fuzzy handle. Fuzzy Wuzzy Boom Boom. Yeah. Directed at Luds. Obviously didn't want my opinion. Uh, when the team is having a brain fart and making a lot of mental mistakes, forgetting fundamental hockey and an overall fog, how do you coach or as a leader – lead the team out of said funk. I think you've explained that 
but yeah, the dirty you, you areas, know, right? You know, if you're if you're if you're on if you're behind the bench, there's a lot of times that you don't want to. When things are going great, you don't want to practice. You, you just want to you want to get the next game going. Like today, I believe is a day off for the guys. Right now, I'm telling you, right now, Bones is kicking himself, and so is the rest. They want the guys in there. They want they want to be on the ice with them right now, and they want to be able to use two days to get ready or whatever it is for a game. You know, so they if they have a mandatory these mandatory days off, those are great when you know when you're winning seven out of ten. But when you're you know when you're doing the opposite, you know, coaches are are control freaks. They hate it when there's days off. They hate it when there's an optional skate and guys don't come. They hate it when you get in at night and for the better for the team, you know, there's no morning skate. We're better off just leaving them in the hotel or whatever and stay at home and and we'll save the energy. For, they hate it. They might do it, but they hate it. So I, I think that it, it, it's situational again, but it's if anybody knew the right answer for that, you know, I'd have been on the shuttle with Bezos and Captain Kirk. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Brewboy23, who's a real good hockey fan, asks, do we have any young goal scorers coming up that we can look forward to? Mind if I take this one? Yeah, go ahead. I really thought in the preseason and in camp, I was impressed with top draft pick Wyatt Johnson. Yeah. I think he's got great puck control. I think his awareness – I mean, you know, in those preseason games in which he played, he was on a line with Joe Pavelski, and I thought he fit in perfect. And, you know, he's down in the OHL right now. So, you know, I mean, the next step would be Texas. However, I think if you're looking at players, and I know they drafted Maverick Bork as well, Riley Tuft is having an, uh, a decent year in Texas, but we know Riley Tuft has had his struggles. Now, Riley Tuft has said, you know, I finally found my game. So I hope he does because, I mean, that's a huge body, but I kind of look at Riley Tuff as a third or fourth line guy. I When I looked at Wyatt Johnson, and it wasn't just necessarily because he had a similar number on his sweater, but he kind of reminded me of Mark Shifley, just a smart player on on the ice who knew where to be in the right places. And like I said, you're, you're next to a Hall of Famer in Joe Pavelski and you fit right in. Well, that's high praise, first off, <clears throat> comparing him to Shifley. Thank you. Um, I, sh- I should be a scout. To... What's that? I should be a scout, Craig. Yeah, for for radio uh, hosts. <laughs> <clears throat> and you're talking to one. Um, you know what? I The first thing you have to – well, I, and I agree with the, about Tuck. I, I, thought he, I thought he had a really good camp. I thought he looked really good, scored some goals. It looked like he was confident. Um, so I, I, I think I, I felt in a way that he was going to get a shot just because he's been around, you know, high draft pick, all these other kind of things that go into it. But when it comes to the younger guys, you have to realize who's, who's driving the bus here. Uh, Jim, Jim Neal likes guys overripe. He, he, he wants them, you know, he wants them to marinate, like dominate the level that you're at. And I think we see that what he did with Otter by sending your yep. goalie back to the American hockey league this year. I think when they, they sent Ottinger back, there were a lot of people that were, wait a second, like w- w- he looked really good in the seven games that he played in or whatever, but he wants him to learn how to be a starter. So, you know, with the travel and busing and everything else that goes into the American League, we want you to be, learn how to play 
six out of nine games? How do you get ready for that day? How do you, what, what do you do on the day after? What, what is that? Instead of sitting around and, and having three, four days off and taking, you know, shots at the end of practice, be ready to be a starter. And so I believe that a lot of that, when you're talking about kids that are going back to major junior or going back to Texas, it's because the playing time isn't going to be what they need. Like you, you don't, to me, you don't take a goal scorer or a potential 20, 25 goal scorer in the NHL or a 30 goal scorer in the NHL and put them down on the, on the fourth line because, and give them seven minutes a night. It does them nothing. They need to be in the American league or back in junior, whatever it is playing 18, 24 minutes a night. They got to play on the power play, learn how to kill penalties, learn how to play against the top players at that level. And so I, I think that's a, a common uh, philosophy of a lot of general managers. If we're not going to get the minutes of who he's going to be, we're not really helping him develop. That's what I think. So, you know, again, <clears throat> look at your top. You're, you're not sitting out hints. You're not sitting out, you know, the big dogs. Um, are, are you going to take out Glenn Denning, who, you know what, Glenn Denning's playing on the fourth line, been around for a while. He brings a certain... Uh, tool set, skill set, maybe not skill set so much, but he's got a toolbox and he's effective in what, what his role is. He kills penalties. He blocks shots. He's got what, two or three goals. I don't know if anybody would expect him to be a, a 10 goal scorer this year uh, with the minutes that he plays. So are you going to take him out for the veteran leadership for the grind that he gives you and take a skilled guy and put him on that line? I don't think so. Um you know, can they work? Through? But, but again, I think it's all about showing when you when you've got a young player at no matter what level it is below the NHL and you're going, you know what? He's not getting anything out of this league anymore. I mean, he's he's shown that he can he can dominate and he can be one of the top 10, 20 players in this league. Well, then you need to bring him up. You need to move him to the next level. And I think that's what they wait for in young players. I just look at this current stars roster and I see one guy that's above average right now. One guy that's about, well, obviously you're going to talk about Haskinen. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's. <clears throat> and, and I'm and a big fan of mean, a lot of them on the ice. I mean, I'm a big Gurionov guy. I think, you know, I'm, I'm disappointed in Dennis. Well, I don't know, but why are you a big Gurionov guy? What, what is it that he brings? What, what is it? Is his speed that you like? I like his speed, Craig. I watched him in the uh, U18 World Juniors for Team Russia, and I just thought he overmatched people. Um, I love how he comes down the wing. I thought he had some good power. Um, struggled in Texas at times. I made some calls on that, and we talked about, you know, consistency. And then, you know, it came together. Um, but now it seems that, you know, the inconsistency is once again there. But I it, love his it, shot. It, it, <clears throat> that's all part of the, the maturation process. Yeah. You know, and some guys, some guys will get it in two, three years in the league. Some may, may take five or six. Some it may take longer. And all of a sudden they're going to go, where the hell was this? But they all mature at a different level at different levels. You know I mean? At, at a different speed at each level. When you said world junior. So he was playing against 18-year-olds. Yeah. And he's a big kid and he dominated probably at 18-year-olds. But he wasn't playing at that time against 24 and 25 and 27 and, and, and guys that have been playing at the best in the best league in the world at that time. Which is, I mean, all you can do is dominate at where you're at. And that wasn't his fault. And, and so, and sometimes it takes the, takes a little bit longer for certain guys for the light bulb to go on to understand where their best opportunity is to be successful at what their role is. 
you know, like, and he's, he's got to be a goal scorer. I mean, is he going to be a, a, a 30 guy? I don't know. Um, if he gets to the front of the net, he will be. He, the one thing he will do, I, I, again, I've said this before about a couple of the same thing with hints. These guys should be with their speed and the way hints. I love because he's not afraid to drive to the middle of the ice. He's not afraid to cut to the front of the net. And again, you shouldn't be anymore because it's not, you can't really hit anybody as hard as you used to and, and pay the price for doing that. But guys like that should be leading the league in drawn penalties. Yeah. Being your team on the power play, just by being able to get the edge on a defender and then cut to the net and knowing now that the way that they call the hooking, they call the holding, like just automatically they call it. You take both hands off your stick and they're going to give you a penalty. You put your hand on somebody, they, you know, generally you're, they're making the call. So the guys like that, to me, and they do keep that stat. I don't know where you find it, but I found it one time, but they should be leading the league and, and those kind of penalties, drawing penalties. That's what I think. And putting your team on the power play and both of you guys belong on the power play. Hence belongs there. Gariano with his shot belongs there. And so you're kind of helping yourself and helping your own stats. If you play that way. You know, there was a point last night where Ryan Suter had an opportunity to shoot from the point and, Maybe it's a philosophy thing that slap shots just aren't, you know, part of the star's philosophy. Um, I know they like tipped uh, pucks, and that seems to be what a lot of teams are moving toward or have moved toward. But, man, I've just been watching Ryan Suter for a long time, and I just love to see him wind up a couple of times. I just want, you know, Craig, when you were sitting in front of those slap shots, you know, I mean, those things hurt. It makes you think, right? Yeah. Yeah, but but again, I, I'm only going to – I don't know what, what play you're talking about, but I'm guessing the reason he didn't get it to the net is there was nobody in front of the net besides one of their players. Right, he got and it so over to Sagan, and, and Sagan, by the time he shot it – Well, wait a second. Is this the one he gave to Sagan where Sagan kind of drifted down to just above the goal line? Yeah, just was above. On the it was a one-timer that Saros came over and made the save. Was it a one-timer on the power play? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. And again, remember I talked a couple weeks ago that when Tyler starts drifting, he doesn't get the puck right away. He ultimately, and again, they gravitate where there's more ice, where there's more open ice. Unfortunately, where the open ice is, is where the less chance there is of a good good shooting angle. And I think that's the one where Tyler got almost down to the goal line and he was outside the faceoff dot. And, and, but again, I don't know if there wasn't anybody in front of the net, but again, like when you're taking a shot, I don't care. I don't really care if you're ally or Frady or Chara or who's ever got the hardest shot in the NHL right now, you can give these guys 10 pucks from the blue line with nobody else on the ice, except the goaltender. I don't, they won't score more than a goal. So it's what it ends up being is that there's nobody in front of the net. There's no traffic there. It's going to be a puck that can get corralled possibly by the goaltender, pop it to your defenseman and clear it down the ice. You know, again, I put that on the other four guys too. So if Suits has got a, a lane to the net, somebody better get there because, you know, these goalies are good enough. If they can see it, generally they're going to stop it. Well, that didn't, wasn't the case last night, but, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Miro is my hero, right? Do you think, uh, do you think ownership lets Nil pick one more coach or we'd be out to get an, uh, an overhaul? I, I don't think a complete overhaul, all, a complete overhaul would happen in the middle of the season. Yeah, we're not the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. 
you know, that that's not happening. And, you know, it, it, the last thing that Jim knew, Jim Mill, Mr. Gillardi, the last thing they want to do is get another coach. Now you're paying for two head coaches, you know, so um, they believed in him enough to give, what does he got? Three-year deal? I don't even know what he has. Does he have two, three, four-year deal? I don't, I don't know what he has, but you know, and, and again, I don't know how many, I, I would be always leery of being that assistant coach because I think he is just an, a fantastic assistant, which doesn't mean he's not a good head. I'm just yeah. saying he's a fantastic assistant coach. It always bothers me that when guys that are great assistant coaches, when they agree to take the head job and then they have to relieve them of their duties, whether it's in a year or two, whatever, they're gone. Like, can you not just put them back as an assistant? Yeah. I mean, the, but the, it's almost like they caught some disease and you got to let them go. Right, right. Yeah, that's <laughs> a great point. I was that. wondering that, too, the other day. Like, okay, so say Bonus has to step aside. I mean, I don't think Rick Bonus is the kind of guy that if another coach came in that he would cause dissension among the room. No, I, I think he, he's probably like the ultimate team player and saying, listen, if this is what's best for this organization, that's what's best for the organization. I My pride isn't that. I just want to win. I, I just want to win and I want to be part of a, a winning coaching staff. And, and, and if that's the case, but, but again, maybe, maybe there's been other cases where, you know, there's proof that that just doesn't ultimately work out. I, I don't know, but when you have quality people, and I think that's what Jim Neal's about. I, I think he's, you know, and I think if you have a, a list of what you're looking for in a player and a, and a prospect, then it's the person, you know, what, what's he like away from the rink? You know, what's he like with his family and what's he like with his teammates ultimately? And, you know, he wants quality people. And we all know that Rick Bonus is a quality person. I mean, you can ask anybody in the NHL over the last 30 years. They're all going to say the same thing about him. So when you have quality people and if you have to, you know, jockey people around and move the move the pieces around the board, um, I, I just... I don't think that you move them. I mean, again, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. Who, who I don't know, we're talking about is if Rick's going to get fired. I'm sure, I'm sure somebody wrote an article somewhere in game two thinking a head coach should be fired. But but anyway, and that's what probably sparks all the, and it was probably you. You probably tweeted something out. No, nah, man. I mean, I'm and, just, I'm playing neutral here. I'm just saying it like I am. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm upset. Kind of knew this was coming, happened. But, uh, you know, people call me a star's hater. So what can I do? Yeah, but you know what? I, I don't think you're a Stars hater. You just call it the way you see it. I do. But you're still going to be at the games. Yeah, absolutely. You you're still going to be, you're going to still tune in every night and watch them. You're still 18 a Stars years. Fan. Yeah, but you know what? And sometimes players don't understand this. They've got the right to boo. They're buying the tickets. Yeah. You know, they're supporting you in, you know, all these other times. And so, you know, I don't, <clears throat> I don't think our Stars fans that are loyal fans, they're not there. They're not throwing stuff on the ice. No, and... they're good fans, great fans, considering the yeah. lack of playoff success when you look yeah. at kind of like a 15-year span and the fact that they're, you know, the fans are still there. I mean, it's a terrific fan base for a non-hockey city, and it is a non-hockey city. How long do we got to call it a non-hockey city? Why is it a non-hockey city? What, what makes us a non-hockey city? I'll tell you what makes it a non-hockey city. Um, I think consistent winning would make it more of a hockey city. When I go to Tampa, there are bands playing, there's a party going on. I go in, 
and that is quote-unquote a non-hockey city, and the fans are in their seats. You know, a lot of things to do in Tampa. Where, where did you just say? Did you just Tampa. say Tampa? I did. Well, shit, they just won two Stanley Cups. I know. That's what I'm saying. Consistent winning. But, I mean, the reality <laughs> is. the last time somebody won two Stanley Cups in a row? Was it Montreal? No. Oh. L.A.? No. They oh. didn't win two in a row. Neither did Chicago, if you're going to go there next. I think it was Pittsburgh. And before that, it was Detroit. Okay. Yeah, so that doesn't happen often. Detroit was in the, what, early 90s? Pittsburgh probably, I don't know this for a fact, probably I'm going to just guess, I don't know, early 2000s, five, six, I, I don't know when it was. So in the salary cap era, it's not like it used to be. I know, so, and I know winning creates that, but I'm just saying the atmosphere and the people stay in their seats and it's a – it's a terrific barn for hockey. I, you know, I agree. I love the I love the Stars fans. I think they're terrific and everything like that. But it's just you know, like I said, no matter what I say, I'm going to be a hater. I'm in my seat when the period starts. Well, so that makes you a hypocrite. Why? <laughs> Why am I a hypocrite? <clears throat> no, you're just you're just a little guy. I'm just you're, fired up. I'm like, <laughs> you're just a little ball of hate. That That's is all you such are. a shot. You're just a little, a little guy. Boy. You're my little buddy. Yeah, you're like that little parakeet on somebody's shoulder. I'm going to do extra push-ups to uh, muscle up. <laughs> extra for, this for you would be one. <laughs> okay, do you want to end on a laugh? Do we want to tell a quick story, or do we just end this thing? I think they're probably bored already. Okay, who's going to laugh? Like, why do you have a do you have a joke? No, because last last week when I told my story, you did was just. There was dead air. There was silence. Yeah, yeah. Was... you got another story like that. No, no, just... no, 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 no. My stories are done. People don't want to hear from Gavin Spittle. People want to hear from Craig Ludwig. Yeah, I think the people want us to get out into the public. Okay. So. We'll do that. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll do that. We'll go out into public and we'll compare how many people come up to me as compared to you. And we'll go from there. I don't even know if they, yeah, but the, you're going to have to stand on a stool or something like that so they can find you. <laughs> Get up in okay. the air so they can see you. Okay, but you know the great thing about hanging out with you is Nothing. that when someone comes up to you, like when we were at dinner and somebody said, are you Brett Holland? You just, without even pausing, yes, I am. Oh, yeah. It's amazing how many, how many times walking around American Airlines in the corridor in between periods and things like that. And you're going from one place to another and somebody will give you a, you know, a thing and, you know, a hat or whatever. And they start, you, you grab it you take the top off the pen. Thank you very much, Mr. Hall. And I'm just getting ready to write the, the C and I turn it into a B and I just scribble it across the hat. And I, and, and the reason I do that is because I don't want to embarrass the person first of all. And I kind of got Holly's signature down so they can go home and I just hope that someday they don't, you know, take that, take that piece of memorabilia and try to sell it to somebody and get called out. Because if you ever watch Pawn Stars, they got that dude on Pawn Stars yeah. that's got all these signatures on there and he's going to, he's going to go, no, man, this ain't even close to Brett Hall. <clears throat> so. Yeah. All right. So you're at, a, if you go to a Stars game and I've seen it, if you see someone wearing a jersey sweater with Ludwig on the back, how do you feel? Um, I smile. I'm amazed that they're not pushing around the walker. 
or riding around in a wheelchair, that they're young enough to actually walk straight up. That still has one of those jerseys. I always say, I always ask him like, man, dude, we're, how long have you had that thing? Which is, I probably shouldn't, but, but I can tell you one thing for sure is they're not 27 blonde and hot that are wearing them. That's for sure. <laughs> I'm going to get a Habitant sweater that says Ludwig. That would be sweet. Oh yeah. Those are, that's a classic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You're at a stars game. You're walking the concourse. You see a star sweater and it says spittle on the back. What's your first thought? Does what on the back? Spittle. Fiddle? Yes, my last name. Oh, Spittle. Oh, that's your last name? I thought it was Spitz. Um, (laughs) Spitz is good. That means, you know, I got a hockey nickname. I'm in. I'm in. I guess the first thing that comes to mind is loser. (laughs) Like like they lost a bet somewhere. They Ah. they obviously lost a bet in one of your radio show things. That was the booby prize or that was second place prize is they got a spittle jersey a spitz jersey or whatever you're calling it we need to make a bet because definitely it's definitely if they're wearing a jersey and it's not dragging on the ground it's probably like a seven-year-old kid wearing it (laughs) that i paid no that i mean that it actually fits somebody because i don't know who else could could, you know i mean it's it's probably (laughs) are you saying that i wear youth clothes yeah, I, I was trying to tap dance around that, but yeah, of course I am. <laughs> Where are my Oshkosh bagosh to the Stars games? Uh, you uh, you probably shop at Toys R Us, don't you? <laughs> We're out of business, sir. I used to. Are they We're really? Out of business. I think so. Jesus, my four-year-old grandson's birthday is on Saturday, and that's where I was going to get well, them. Yeah, man, I, 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 you know, maybe they are. I don't he, know. Listen to this show because it's it, it. Listen to the show. It's very informative. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it. We had a laugh or two. Once again, apologies for my outburst at the beginning. I hope you know it comes from passion. I'm a frustrated fan right now. Craig, it's been great, man. Can't wait. Can't wait till the next time. Yeah. You know what? We're going to bring on guests. Are we? Yes. Book Knuckles. Super. Yeah. Yeah. You want to drop a name or anything? Yeah. I want Knuckles Nyland. Oh, you want Nux on? <laughs> I want Nux on. I want to talk Massachusetts seafood. I want to talk about the time that he ran Rick Middleton. I want well, to talk about him. his transition he, he from the Canadians to the Bruins. He, he, he cross-checked him in his yap. I mean, he yeah. put his stick right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that wasn't really running him. It was just. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah, we, that, we, that, I, I do want to start having some great NHL guests on because, I mean, you know, they'll feel real comfortable talking to you. Yeah, okay, that's cool. I'll throw a question in once in a while. Yeah, all right. Let them know you're still there. (laughs) He's Craig Ludwig. I'm Gavin Spittle. Thank you for listening to another edition of Spits and Suds right here on 105.3 The Fan. Have a great day, everyone.